Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Y'all doing good today? Come on, let's make Jesus a big deal for a minute. Come on. Let's make him a big deal. Lord, you're worthy. You are good. And your love endures forever. Man, he's a big deal. I think we need to make Jesus a bigger deal uh, every day of our life. And the Vols won last night. I prayed for him. Come on. That was Jesus. And uh, excited about that. I graduated from the University of Louisville, so I hate all things UK. And, uh, and so I'm so happy uh, that we won. Uh, we are uh, going to start a new series today called Foundations. Uh, but yesterday, I just want to give some praise to what God did yesterday. We had our Serve Knock Saturday event yesterday. We do that the first Saturday of every month. And um, we fed like 150 people yesterday and uh, gave away diapers and some of the stories that came out. Uh, one young lady moved from Florida, just buried her mother and father. So obviously a very tough um, transition. Moved up here about two months ago and uh, moved in with a friend. The friend kind of abandoned her and uh, she was left on her own. No food. Began to figure out, you know, had a baby trying to figure out how they were going to eat. Someone told her about this place that had some food the first of the month. Didn't know where it was. Drove around the block until she found our little red signs and came in and got food yesterday. And so there was about story after story like that. And so thank you for your generosity and just making it uh, possible to give and to bless our community. Uh, and then last week, one of you, um, actually Dylan, uh, a good friend of mine, he's, he runs our lights. Come on, give it up for our production guys back there. Thank you all for what you do. Everybody on camera, if you, if you have an interest in technology at all, see those guys. They'd love to help you, get you on the team. And uh, he invited one of his friends. Come on, how many know that it's not just about lights? Dylan invited one of his friends to come to church and, 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 and his friend's girlfriend. And his friend was suffering with esophageal cancer. And so he said, just come to church and get prayer. Why don't you just come and see what maybe what God would do? And so Pastor Dan and some of us circled around him last week, prayed for him. He went back to the doctor this week. They said, there's no sign of cancer in your, in your, in your esophagus whatsoever. And I'm so pumped that God is a big deal, and we're going to continue to make him a big deal around here. We are heading into a season I'm going to teach for this month on just the thought of foundations, and the thought of that, that, um, ver- or that word is just coming out of the scriptures in Ephesians, and then I'm going to look at some places in uh, the Old Testament as well, just about the church. Like, what is the church? Like, what is all this? Why are we doing this? Why do we gather like this? What does it look like? And so today I'm going to kind of lay a foundation in our series foundation. See what I did there? And, uh, and it's going to be really about the church, not specifically uh, the four-part mission of our church. I'm going to get into that later this month. And uh, we're going to see videos from missionaries. You're going to hear life change stories about people. We exist for life change. That's why we do what we do. And so uh, you're going to hear about that. You're going to hear about different ideas in my heart and that God's speaking to me. Um, and every November leading into December, we have something called Vision Season. And so the first or second weekend of December, we do a big vision offering where we gear up, we believe God all year long. We have people called vision partners that give to the vision of the church. And so they give above their tithes and offerings. And I'm going to teach you a little bit on tithing. Some of you, maybe that's your next step of faith is just tithing. And uh, you don't do that yet. Come on, that is God's. It's holy and God will bless your life. And I'm going to teach a little bit about that. I know it's a big step of faith. I probably, I can promise you, and I'm not going to ask you to show hands. Don't worry. I'm not going to embarrass you in church. But, but the revelation of tithing is not predominant in the in the modern day church and people do not understand it because really money has become our God and so and the reality is when God says I want all of your heart your your heart and your wallet are attached and so if you don't give God your wallet you really haven't given him your heart and so they're saying I love God I love God I love my heart soul mind and strength well the test of that is do you really tithing 
And I'm just going to be honest with you, your pastor, like, like that's the sign. And so your, your, your wallet, we're going to talk about that. And leading up into this vision season, people say, I want to be generous. One of our core values is generosity. Let me say this. You can never be generous until you tithe. Yeah, amen. <laughs> I love you, sister. Come on. You can never be generous until you tithe. You, you just can't be. Because the, the tithe is God's. And the Bible says that, that, that when we keep that, we're actually robbing God. And so I want to just lay some foundation about giving. And I know some of y'all are like puckered up right now. I get it. In your, in your lips right here. Your mouth. In your face. Some of y'all are like, what? It's okay. And I'm not going to come after your wallet today. I'm just laying a foundation. And so... We, we, we are going to really talk about being generous, because and here's why. You're going to hear stories and, 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 and how God's changing people's lives. And it's not just to be generous for generous sake. It's generous for a vision and a mission and to partner with missionaries and, and global, uh, global missions and, and, and local missions and, and, and new campuses and people giving their lives to Christ. And there's so much vision. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that's got vision. You heard uh, on the news, today, on the announcements where they said, we have connect groups. Maybe you're not in a connect group. We have vision for you, connecting with people, leading each other in the callings and giftings God's given you. I had a good friend. He's over here. Nick, he came to me the other day. He says, man, I got a vision for a businessmen's connect group. And our connect groups run all year round. And so maybe some of you have a heart to start something or to something God's put in your heart. We have vision for that, to empower that. So there's a lot of vision here. We've got vision for the next generation, vision for students, vision for families. We're doing a marriage conference this next year. We're going to do a men's conference and a women's conference. So I just want to encourage you, begin to pray. Next week you'll get a little information. Begin to pray about the vision season and the vision offering coming up December the 5th. And, and just ask God what he'd have you do to partner with our vision. And so we're going to continue to be a generous church. I'm going to jump into Ephesians, just talking about the blueprint of church. Why be generous? Why, why come here? Why gather together? Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says this. It says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Somebody say household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. That we are being built together for a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. I'm going to go to the Old Testament. Zechariah, one of the minor prophets, Zechariah 4, 6 through 7. Not minor because he's lesser. Minor because it's a smaller book, a smaller writing. Zechariah 4, 6 through 7. It says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Many of you heard that, that thought. This is in the context of building the house of God. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then Zerubbabel speaks to this mountain, this obstacle. Who are you, O mountain? But Zerubbabel, before Zerubbabel, you shall be a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone or the cornerstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Everybody say grace, grace. My title today is very simply, Give Me Grace, Grace. Give Me Grace, Grace. 
Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for double portion grace as it comes to the house of God. Thank you for double portion grace, for grace, grace as it comes to the things in our life. Thank you for building your church, that the gates of hell cannot stop us, that we would be empowered in these perilous times. As we look around the planet, we all know things are happening. So God, empower your people in Knoxville, Tennessee at Transformation Church to do what you've called us to do in this hour. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Give me grace, grace. My daughter, uh, she's 14 now. I don't know if she's in here. Her name's Anna Grace, and uh, we named her that. We prayed, fasted, asked God for kit for all of our children's names. My wife picked some names because I had them named Zerubbabel and uh, and 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 some other names. She's like, we're gonna go, we're gonna go shorter. And so uh, with my daughter, we went with Anna Grace, and um, Anna means grace, and so her name means grace, grace. And I thought that was pretty cool. The, the very start of her life, the very prayers and the beginning of her life were grace, grace, double portion of grace. When she was younger, she'd come in uh, randomly, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine. She'd have little friends at school, and she'd say, she'd just walk into the room, and she'd say, my name is Isabella. And we're like, no, no. We prayed, we fasted, we heard God, we got a word from God. Your name is Grace, Grace. Your name is Anna Grace. It's double grace. Your existence, sweetheart, is in grace. Everything about you, the foundation of your life is grace. Your name is grace. My name is Isabella. It was cute, but it wasn't true. And how often do we try to change the name on our spiritual birth certificate to works or to less or to unworthy or to worried or to fearful? So often we change the name. And God says that you exist in grace. That, that literally your life, the church, your life, your being, your, your, your name is grace, grace. God's given you grace, grace, a double portion of grace. And sometimes when we think of grace, I need grace. And when I'm talking about grace today, I'm going to talk about it a lot as we build the church. Grace is an enabling grace. There's four types of grace in the New Testament. There's one, there's saving grace. And then there's justifying grace. And then there's teaching grace. I'm not going to get into all those verses, but there's teaching grace. There's actually a grace that teaches you to quit being crazy. <laughs> there's a grace that teaches you what's right and wrong, a grace that teaches you what sin is, and, and so it teaches us. And then there's an enabling grace. Do you, remember, do you remember when Paul in Corinthians said, God, take this thorn in the flesh away from me? And God said, my grace is sufficient. My strength is it's perfect in your weakness. That's an enabling grace. It's a, it's, a lot of times we treat grace like, well, just give them grace. Well, I just need some grace. I messed up again. I just, I just need to come on. Let's give everyone grace. That's not what this is. This is an enabling grace, a power. Grace, grace, a grace to go through some hell and come out without smelling like smoke. A grace to have some power, a grace to forgive, a grace to love your abuser, a grace to get up again after everything fell apart. A grace to believe again, a grace to build the house of God, a grace to shake off the indifference and go, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus and make him a big deal. A grace not to just be apathetic in our call. A grace to go through a divorce and say, you know what? God loves me and I can rebound and get back up. A grace to have your children go wayward and, and call God to bring them back together again. A grace to fight a disease and, and, and come through it and go, you know what? God is still good. A grace to speak to mountains and see dead things come to life. A grace to heal the sick. A grace to conquer giants with the rock of God's word. A grace. So I'm like, just give us grace. And when we're talking about the house of God, we're talking about grace, grace, Zerubbabel. And Zechariah told Zerubbabel to shout grace, 
grace to this rock. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But Ephesians, I'm just going to go through some thoughts of the grace we need and what God's telling us as his people, as the local church, as the house of God. He says this. I think the whole context of Ephesians 2 is talking about you individually as you are saved. But then it begins to talk about us collectively being the house of God. And I've just kind of pulled and yanked out some thoughts and themes from the, from the chapter of, 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 of Paul's heart about you and I in the church. It says this in verse 1. It says, and you he made alive. Again, this is saving grace. And you he made alive and were, who were dead in trespass and sin. I, I just, just, you were dead and now you're alive. Amen. What's this all about? You were dead and now you're alive. There's only two categories of people on the planet. There's not black, white, yellow, brown. There's not, you know, Asian, Hispanic. You know, there's not, there's not any of those categories. The only two categories of people on the planet are dead in sin or alive in Christ. That's it. And, and in God's eyes, we, we, we're, either, we're either dead in our sin or alive to Christ. And we're called. And he, he made you. You didn't make yourself alive. He made you alive. He made me alive. He yanked me out of death and darkness and disease. He did not come to make me a good man. He came to make me alive. Jesus did not die to make humanity good. There's just so many good people. I don't think good. There's a lot of good people. There's a lot of better people than Christians I know. Right? But they're dead. Now, you should become good because God is good and he does good and you do what you, you do who you are. But, but I think it's so important that you were, I mean, think of, of all the people. We should be the most alive people on the planet, like alive. Like, have you ever met someone that, that died or heard a story about someone that died and got a second chance at life? Like, man, I was dead and I, I got another chance. I'm alive. That's what this is about. Have you ever had your kids, anybody who had kids that they played dead on you? They just flop over in the, in, the, in the living room. They're like, we're going to play dead. I'm like, oh, this is fun. It's all fun and games until they won't get up. You're like, okay, game's over. Playtime's over. You're dragging them across the living room floor. You know, how many of us Christians are playing dead with God and God's having to drag us around, dragging us to church, dragging us to forgiveness, dragging us to say sorry, dragging us to humble ourselves? Come on, we don't, let's don't make God drag. We're alive. I'm alive. I'm excited about being alive today. I, I think you can tell. I, I think it's, it's contagious to be alive. He says that you were made alive. And then he says this. This is important. Verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together in Christ. Let me say this. You ain't alive alone. You're not alive alone. Like, why do we have church? Because you're not alive alone. Because Paul made us alive together. He made us alive as a people. You can't, we, I can't be alive alone. The, my life and the life I have is contingent upon being attached to you. And the life that you have in God is contingent upon being attached to somebody else, being contingent upon being attached and alive together. That's the church, not being alive alone. My son Jude and I, he's, he's uh, 16 now. We watched that show Alone. Anybody ever watch Alone? Come on, they got new rules where if you last 100 days, you get a million dollars. Come on, somebody, who thinks they could last in the Arctic, right? I mean, they get out there, and it's kind, of, it's kind of still, it's not quite winter yet, so they're trying to prep, and they're out there, and there's a couple girls and a couple guys that are having to build shelters, and my son and I are watching it. It's crazy. Like, by, by halfway through the show, if they haven't got all the food stored up, all they're worrying about is, like, getting a little bit of food and trying to find some fat and trying to find some sustenance and trying to figure out how to survive. And you get a little hangnail, and then you're out because your whole finger's falling off because you're in the Arctic. You know what I'm saying? 
And, you know, they're, 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 they're the things, they're talking to themselves, they're making, they're putting little, like, you know, rabbit skulls up and, and having conversations with it. They're, you know, they're, they're just, they're, it, the show's called Alone. And they're losing their mind about halfway through and people are dehydrated and they can't get enough nutrients and, and the whole existence is that they can make it alone. The guy that won it this year is named Roland. And this dude was like, you knew he was going to win. I mean, he's like, yeah. He's like a bear. You know what I'm saying? This dude was a bear and uh, half bear. And he wins it. And uh, he's like, he's, you know, his sister comes out there. And he, I mean, he kills a bull ox with a pocket knife. Okay, that's, what I'm, that's the kind of guy I'm talking about. And he wins a million bucks. And they're like, what are you going to do with the million bucks? He's like, I think I'm going to disappear for a few years. So, you know, I'm like, man, you, just, you were just alone for 100 days, you know. And so, and so he wins it. But even towards the end of the show, he was running out of all of his sustenance. He, was, he wouldn't have made it much longer. Winter had set in. And, and I just want to say this. You're alive together. We're alive together. You, are, you cannot, when you are alone in Christianity, when you're not a part, like plugged into a church, a house, a household of God, you are only worrying about yourself and your little sustenance and enough for you and enough for your little family and enough to get a little nutrients and enough to get a little hydration in your life. And you're hoping not to get infected and not to get disease. And you're hoping just to make it. And spiritually, man, it's brutal out there. And we got to be alive together. What's the church about? Man, I hope you meet somebody today. I hope you look at somebody and say, man, you look alive. Talk to me. We're alive together in this. And I just, I can't live alone. I don't want to do this thing alone. It says that we've been made alive together. And then he says, and then we're raised up together. Verse 6, and raised up together. So we're alive, then we're alive together, then we're raised up together. And he says, he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I just think, just the thoughts of being raised together, meaning we advance together. We are, we, are, we are raised up. Give me some guys up here real quick. Sam, why don't you guys, some of you guys come over here. And then, and then we, uh, you're, uh, we've met before, so you're not new. So I'm going to call you. In. Can I call you into the sermon? Are you okay with that? Just stand right here for me. Some, yeah, you guys, some of you other guys come up here. Would you come up, Will? Just stand, come up on the platform with me. And, and so the Bible says that, we're, that we advance together. If you'll stay down here for us. The Bible says that, that we advance together, that we're raised together. What this means is that in the world, we have to pull someone down to get ourselves raised up. The world tries to get ahead and, and pull someone else so that we can raise ourselves up. But this says that we're actually raised together, that my advancement and his advancement and your advancement and your advancement is contingent upon us being raised together. And that means that you don't have to fight and, and you don't have to try to get ahead on your own. And you don't, there's no way I, I could lift him up and get him up here. If I'm a, you're going to try to pull me down, I'm going to try to pull you up. Come on, you, yeah, I'm a, yep, let me try to pull you up. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way that I can raise him up. But together with a group of brothers, come on, let's grab, let's grab a hold of him. And then how easy is it to pull this dude up? I mean, we're raised together in this thing. Thank you, guys. Come on. Uh, and I, I, just, I just think so often, yeah, y'all can grab a seat. Give them a hand real quick. I tried to pick, some, I tried to pick a big dude that could get me down. I just... You know, I, I, think, I think so often in, we're going at this thing alone and we're trying to raise ourselves up and we're trying to be important on our own. And, and, and I, I just want to say you can rise above individualism. You can rise above worry. You can rise above fear. You can rise above the diagnosis. You can rise above the disease. You can rise above the, the news broadcast. You cannot rise above the politics. You can, we, we're raised together. That's why we're in church. That's why we come here. I, 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 my, my advancement's based on your heart and, and your advancement's based on who's sitting next to you. And 
Verse 6 says that he made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Seated, not seated with Christ, not yet, seated in Christ. That you and I, everybody says, well, God won't share his glory with anybody. That's not what this says. This says that we're seated in Christ in glory. That he's already sharing his glory and that he wants you and I to go out and be a beacon of his glory. And that he wants to clothe us with glory and anoint us. And and that together we're anointed and we're seated in Christ. The whole thought for me in this as God spoke to my heart was that we don't have to fight for our own glory. Like you, you don't, you don't, we don't have to one-up each other and try to, and, and, and try to be something that we're not. We could just be the people that God called us to be because we're a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We're seated in glory. I don't have to get recognition. I don't have to worry about who shines brighter. Well, who shines? We're all seated in the sun. We all shining. We're, we're in Christ. And until we get there one day, we're going to be seated in him. And this says we're not seated alone. We're seated together. You ever gone out to a restaurant and a nice one, not a fast food one, and you had a date coming, but you're not, they're not there yet, and you go and you're seated alone? Anybody ever done that? And you're waiting on the date to show up or your wife or spouse to show up, and you're seated for a little bit alone? Come on, don't lie to me. How awkward is it? They're coming and going, are you alone tonight, sir? Like, no, 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 no. My spouse, my wife's coming. She's, a, she's running a little bit late. Gets a little bit longer. Another waitress comes up like, may I take this other menu? I'm like, no, they're coming. There's somebody coming. I'm, I'm, not, sitting, I'm not sitting alone. <laughs> There's this awkward feeling. And you begin to think and make these stories over your mind. Well, does anybody think I can't get a date? They're looking at me. I'm in this nice restaurant by myself. I can, I'm married. I can get a date. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just awkward sitting alone. And my prayer for us is that no one would ever feel that they have to sit alone again. That people could come through our doors and go, come on, I don't have to sit alone. I'm not, I'm not out on my own. I'm seated together with a group of God's people that are alive. Big purpose is bigger than me. And this is what the church is all about. I mean, God forbid anybody walk through these doors and feel like they got to be awkwardly sitting alone. Let's make sure we find people and, and sit together. And then it says this, for we are his workmanship. Many of you know these verses. It says, for we are his workmanship in verse 10. Talk about the church, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What's the church about? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let me say this to you. You cannot individualize this verse. God gave me revelation this morning. Last night a little bit and this morning on this verse. So often we're like, man, I'm, I'm the workmanship of Christ. Created for good works in Christ Jesus that he prepared beforehand that I might walk in them. How many of you quoted that verse? Well, I'm, we're the, I'm the workmanship of God. This says, Paul says, we, we are his workmanship. The, the word is actually poema. It's where we get the word tapestry. You ever seen a, a one-string tapestry? The context of this verse is not what God's doing all in your life as his workmanship in your life. Yes, that's happening. But the context is he takes many multicolored threads of all types of messes and weaves them together, does work in our life. And then one side becomes this glorious picture of God's workmanship. And the other side is this messy mess of threads. And so so what I want to say to you is this, your mess matters here. (laughs) And, and, And that the other side of your mess is actually God's message. And the other side of your mess is actually God's masterpiece. And that we are God's workmanship. And that as we come together as church, 
as people alive and God begins to weave the strings of our lives together, not individualistically, but weaving. A, who, do you know somebody? Have you met someone? Are you talking? Are you praying? Are you getting prayer at the altars? Are you, are you plugging in? Are you serving? Are you connected? As God begins to do that, he begins to make this place into his workmanship to declare forth the created works of God and do works in the earth for him. As a church, that's all. That's us reaching the lost, reaching the world. I just want to encourage some, some of you, you feel like your mess is just too messy, and it's really the part of God's message. And I think that there's beauty in it, and so don't try to hide your mess. Come on, we all, we've all got pieces of this puzzle to bring together with our messes to tell a story for God. And then in verse 19, how do I know that he's not just talking about individuals? Because verse 19, he says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says that we're members of the house of God. I don't, I don't, I'm just trying to give you some apostolic teaching today, like members of the house of God. My kids are members of my household, and as members of my house, they've got some benefits. They get food, they get shelter, they get a bed and a pillow, they get a lot of benefits, but they also have a lot of responsibilities. They've got to mow, they've got to blow leaves. Come on, thank God for two sons that can blow leaves right now. It's $300 just to get them to the curb. I'm like, you're going to blow some leaves, son, if you want to eat dinner, <laughs> And so, so there's, there's leaves, there's, and I think too long, for too long, the church has looked for all the benefits of church. Too long, Christians have wondered, what do I get out of it? And how's the music? And how does it, I, I, and, and how, what, how does it all, and do I like it? And that's not the point. There's benefits, but there's also responsibilities. <laughs> members of the household of God. What's this all about? That we're becoming citizens and members of the household of God. And I just want to say this, I repent. I repent for making it easy for you to sit here. I don't know where everybody is in their, in their walk with God, but I, as your pastor, I just want to say this. As the leader of this house, it is not my job to make a cruise ship Christianity experience for you. And I'm going to read the verse. And, and listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you why you don't want me to do that. You're going to read this. You're going to hear it in a second. But, but my job is, is not to create this cruise ship feeling. It's to say, you know what? This is the member of, members of the house of God and that you have gifts and callings and talents that you use for coin out there that God wants to use for calling in here. And there's things that God's put in your life that you bring in here. Out there, it's coin. In here, it's calling. Now, now, now let me just say, it's, out there, it also can be calling, but the calling starts in the house. A lot of times we've flipped it. We've gone out there and said, oh, I've got my calling out here, and then I just come to church and get filled. No, no, no. Your calling starts here, and you take it out there to bless the world. But many times we don't use our calling in the house of God to become members of the household of God. This is a battleship, guys. And I just, I don't know. I'm just going to make it really uncomfortable for you to sit. And so part of our mission is to discover purpose that you would discover your purpose and that we would be the church and that we would plug in and we would serve one another. And, and, and how many services do I need to serve? How many do you get to serve? Like, man, let's serve. It's Sunday. Like, well, let's love people. Let's put a, prepare a meal for people as they come in and eat and dine and, and experience the power and the love of God. And I, I'm going to say it every week. Man, where are you serving? How are you plugging in? I'm going to preach you in or I'm going to preach you out. But I don't know. I, I just... I don't, I'm just, I'm loving you today as your pastor because I've made it, I've kind of, it's been cruise ship sometimes. And I don't, I don't want cruise ship, this is a battleship, we go to our stations, we grab up our arms, we link hands together and we do battle on behalf of God. 
That's what the church is about. I hope I'm not offending you today. Are y'all okay? And, and, and then here's, here's why it's so important. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, this whole thing only exists because Jesus makes it aligned. The cornerstone is actually the stone that goes in and brings alignment to the whole building. So, so without him being the point, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, their teaching about Jesus, them pointing to Jesus, all about Je- that all of our alignment comes from Jesus. Anything we do here, it all should be uh, aligned by Jesus. Without Jesus, we're just a dysfunctional social club of a bunch of broken stones piled on top of each other. Without Jesus, without him being the center of all this, we're just, we have no alignment, we have no purpose. When you put the, 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 the cornerstone in, now everything else lines off of him. I've done a project with carpet one time, and I didn't actually get the corner at a right angle. And by the time, I tried to eye it out, and by the time I got in a little 5 by 5 or 5 by 10 room, I was like three feet off at the end of the other wall. All, all of humanity, even the church, is just trying to eye it out right now. Just trying to figure out, well, what's, what's right? What's, how to, it's all Jesus. If you want your life to align up in the house of God, in the things of God, it all lines up from who he is and what he says. Just, let's just align with him. Verse 21, in whom the whole building, listen to this, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And the whole building being fitted together. It's a construction term Paul begins to use. What is all this about, Pastor? What, why are we coming in here? Why do we sing? Why do we, why do, we do this? Why do, we want, why do you want us to serve and meet each other? The whole building being fitted together in God, that we would grow into the temple of God. The word fitted together is actually organized compactly. Like, I just want some, I just, I just want my space at church. I just don't want anybody to know my business too much. I just want, I just want to kind of be, let's not make any, let's don't, I'm just going to slip in and slip out. It says that we're actually fitted together, organized compactly, where we begin to fit and fix. And you ever, I was in Cuba several years ago, and these guys, we, would, we were building a stone wall. We were digging these giant stones up out of the mud, picking them up. There were scorpions and stuff under them. We're picking them up. We're rolling them down this hill, and then all these other guys are taking and fitting the stones perfectly together to build this big wall to protect the church. And, and we need help. The Holy Spirit is doing that. He's digging our lives out of a money mess and then fitting us together and constructing us to fit. And can I tell you, we need help fitting together. We're from all different backgrounds and all different walks of life. We need help. I need help. Years ago at Easter, I wore a, a red. Where's Lisa Reed? I don't know if she's in here. Her, she, uh, she was a great friend of ours. She's been here for a long time. I wore a, a red and pink striped shirt and a and a pink paisley tie that I bought off the mannequin at Express for Easter. I showed up just like a candy cane, baby. I was like, what's up? Lisa Reed looked at me, and she goes, don't ever, ever wear a striped red-pink shirt and a pink-gray paisley tie again. I said, I, said, I bought it off the mannequin. At Express, somebody with style put that on the mannequin. She goes, I don't care who wore it. Don't ever wear that again. It does not fit together. We need help knowing how to fit together, guys. We need each other to fit together. We need the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say that we are being built. He changes the word. We are being built together 
for a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. He uses a construction term. Let me, let, me just, let me just say this. The nails don't complain to the hammer. The, the, the saws aren't, don't feel good. Uh, the sandpaper and the iron sharpens iron doesn't feel good. Like we want church, just, we want it to be this just fluffy. It's like, I think it's going to be fun. We have fun. Come on, we got cookies. We got coffee. We celebrate. We laugh. We, we have joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I mean, things should be fun. Come on, I'm not a downer here, right? I like to have fun. I like to laugh. But when we get into the meat of what the church is, it literally says that we would be built together for a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Hear me real quick. If my job is not to, not to be everybody's friend and to create the best, the best little cruise ship environment, my job is to create an environment where you will be willing to be built together and endure construction by God so that he can dwell here by his Spirit. Because we all need a place to go where God is. And this says that the, the level that we're willing to be built together in a construction project is the willingness and the level of God being willing to be here. And so if we want more of God here, really, if we want, according to this verse, if we want more of God in the church, it's not going to be better music. It's not going to be better preaching. It's not going to be softer music or louder music. It's not going to be any of that. It's going to be our willingness to actually be hammered together and sawed and grafted and, and sandpapered and said, oh, this is painful. But God, it's so worth it because you're going to show up in the middle of we're, as we're being built together. I think that he wants to dwell here. By his spirit. I know it's not easy, man. Put the construction hard hat on. Pick up the hammer and tools. Pick up the nails. Pick up whatever. We all carry those. And you know what? We got to begin to say, okay, God, do work in me. Zerubbabel in the story. And I got a couple minutes with you. Well, check out on me. Zerubbabel was trying to build the house of God. And it, it stopped. It had ceased. He had a mandate to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and the house of God in the city of Jerusalem. And he went there to build it and a bunch of squatters in the land. Come on, Satan always wants to squat in the land. And they didn't want to go. And so what he did was they, they began to get lawsuits against him. And they went back to Babylon and got lawsuits and said, you don't have building permits. You can't do this. And the work shut down from 520. 5 BC for 10 years the work was shut down and Zerubbabel was very discouraged he was upset he's like man things are just stuck you ever been in a place where you just feel like stuff is just stuck in your life and you're like man God I, I was being built and it just stopped and I don't know how to begin again and the prophet Zechariah comes to Zerubbabel and Zerubbabel sees this mountain and says oh mountain who are you sometimes you need to begin to talk to your mountain you've been letting your mountain talk too much to you don't let the mountain do all the talking and he says, who are you, O mountain? He says, you're going to become a plain before Zerubbabel. And then Zechariah says, this is what I want you to do. Begin again. And so everything I'm sharing today is a heart for us as a church and people. And your Begin again. I want you to have faith to begin again and to dream again and to believe God again and forget. You know, come on, everything's been crazy for a couple years. Let's begin again. Let's believe again. Let's pray again. Let's fast again. Let's speak the word over our children and schools again. Let's lift up our spouses again. And so Zerubbabel is trying to build and he can't. Nothing's started. And God says, not by might or power, but by the spirit. And then, and then Zechariah tells him this weird little thing to do. He goes, I want you to take the cornerstone. The cornerstone in Jewish culture was the last stone set. It was the ribbon cutting. He said, I want you to take the last stone and I want you to set it first. And then before, as you set the, that stone first, the cornerstone... 
I want you to set it with shouts of grace, grace. How, how weird is that, that this man's out there shouting at a rock? It, didn't, it doesn't say whisper, grace, grace. Grace, grace. It says, I want you to shout, grace, grace. And he takes this rock, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the chief cornerstone of the church, and he sets it in first. And he shouts, grace, grace. And as he does it, the Bible says that the seven spirits of God descend upon the project. And that all of the men and women begin to scurry to and fro. And what was stopped began to be completed in the power of God. And that's what the church is about, that we would be built together shouting grace, grace to Jesus, enduring grace, empowering grace, and that we could speak to our families, we could speak to our mountains, we could speak to our businesses, we could speak to our own hearts. Grace, grace, God. Speak grace, grace over your marriage today. I speak grace, grace over things that you can't fix in your own strength. You're waiting for God to fix it, but he's wanting you to shout grace, grace to it. Come on, I dare you right now. Whatever it might be, just shout grace, grace to something in your life you know needs grace. Come on, on three. One, two, three. Grace, grace. Come on, we thank you, Lord, for empowering grace today. We thank you that you're moving where we can't, Lord. It's by your spirit. We thank you for your church, Lord, that this is not some social project that this is not some wish or some idea. This was what you died for from the foundations of the world. Lord, we have our minds on so many things and we're so blessed, but oh God, build us together, fit us together, raise us together, seat us together, do what you want to do with us together, Lord. Thank you for making us alive together like never before. Let this church be alive and well in this city and around the world, oh God. Lord, I speak grace, grace to every marriage in here, to every father and mother in here. I speak grace, grace to mountains that haven't moved in years. Maybe there's been 10 years of frustration, 10 years of fear. Maybe there's the brink of divorce right now. I speak grace, grace. I speak grace, grace to addictions. I speak grace, grace to those that have given up, oh God. Grace, grace to our church, oh God. Grace, grace, Lord. In the name of Jesus, double grace. We refuse to change the name on our birth certificate. Our name is Grace Grace. We exist in grace. And we have the ability and the power to endure all that's thrown at us in these days. God, I pray that we would rise up as conquerors today like never before. If you're in this place, no one look around just for another second. Maybe you say, you know what, Pastor? I don't, I don't even know grace. I've never experienced to give my life to Jesus. You're here and... Maybe you know you need to be right with God. Come on, this is a family. You don't have to sit alone. The reason that God gave his life to you and the cross and died and removed sin and shame and guilt and died on a tree was to give you a relationship with God in heaven, a good father. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you feel like, man, I got too much guilt. I got too much shame. I, I got to clean my life up. You can't. Only, only Jesus can do that. No one's going to look around or embarrass you or stand you up or make you come forward. But I'm just going to ask you by show of hands, maybe you need a fresh start with God. The Bible says this, if you would give your life to Jesus, just surrender to him, his grace and his goodness, you get a fresh start in God. If that's you today and you would be bold enough to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me, I, I need a fresh start. Would you just put your hand up to me right now? I need a fresh start. I need grace today. I need God in my life today. Anybody in here, just another second. I need a fresh start with Jesus. I'm ready to surrender my life to him. Oh, God, thank you so much for, for what you've done.
Lord, we surrender to you and all the work you did on that cross. We give you glory and honor and praise. If you're watching online and you know you need a fresh start in God, you can just type fresh start in. And we'll pray for you. We'll send you a free resource. We love you and we're here for you. Father, we give you our life today in Jesus' mighty name. Grace, grace. Come on, amen. Everybody give God some praise this morning. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.